Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We'll read again through chapter 2 and verse 3. Genesis 1, 26 through chapter 2, verse 3. And here's what we find there. Well, then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day... God finished His work that He had done and rested on His seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Philip Schaff, a famous church historian, once wrote this about keeping the Lord's Day. Quote, It is a wholesome school of discipline, a means of grace for the people, a safeguard of public morality and religion, a bulwark against infidelity, and a source of immeasurable blessing to the church, the state, and the family. Next to the church and the Bible, the Lord's Day is the chief pillar of Christian society. Now, using Philip Schaff's definition, we would have to say that we no longer live in a Christian society. If the pillars of a Christian society are commitment to God's Word, God's church, and God's day, then we could say on every point it appears that our culture is leaving those things, becoming less and less Christian in nature. What has happened to us that we would not want to receive these good gifts from God? Why in particular is the Lord's Day so forsaken in our own time when many of you in this room can remember a time when much more respect was shown for this day? What should observing the Lord's Day look like for us? Those are some of the questions we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, But first, I want to address this question. What was Sabbath observance like before the fall? What did it mean to keep the Sabbath in the beginning? And if we ask, how did Adam and Eve keep the Sabbath? And we look to Genesis 1 and 2 to get an answer. uh, We have to admit that we're not really told. We are shown how God instituted the Sabbath. We're not actually told how Adam and Eve kept 
the Sabbath. We do know that Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, that Eve was given to him as a helpmate. The Sabbath then was most likely a day of rest from that normal work of keeping the garden. Just as God ceased from his creation work after six days, so Adam and Eve were to cease from their garden work and to devote the seventh day to God and uh, the worship of him. We know, for example, that God was capable of visiting with Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, we find God walking through the garden in the cool of the day. This seems to be one of several occasions in the Old Testament in which God appears to His people in human form in order to have personal fellowship with Him. In fact, some even suggest that when we see God walking through the garden in Genesis 3, it's actually the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ Himself. Either way, it is quite possible that the Sabbath day was a day in which God Himself communed with Adam and Eve, perhaps in human form, fellowshipping with them. It was certainly a day to be spent with their Creator. The Sabbath was almost certainly a day of celebration, a day of worship. In Exodus 20.11, part of the fourth commandment, Israel is called to remember the Sabbath day because, quote, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. So that the Sabbath day is not only a remembering God's rest, an imitation of God's rest, but it is also a celebration of His creation work. It is a day to honor God for His work of creating the universe. In Revelation 4, we're given this picture of the 24 elders around the throne of God and they cast their crowns before Him and they praise Him. And do you remember what they praise Him for? They praise Him for His work of creation. So also, the Sabbath may have been that day of the week in which Adam and Eve, who themselves were created to be rulers, uh, so to speak, cast their crowns before the King of Kings and honored Him as the Creator honored him for his creation work it was a day of worship and celebration whatever else we might could say adam and eve experienced the sabbath as a day of blessing and holiness in which they were to cease from their regular labors and were to be spiritually refreshed the sabbath day was a gift to them in which they found delight after the fall however as mankind quickly plummeted into all kinds of unrighteousness, the Sabbath seems to have become, by and large, neglected. The rest of God's moral law was broken and despised, and we should not be surprised that this law was trampled as well. As people become arrogant, as we see the first murder in Genesis 4, as sexual immorality begins to increase, as all these other Forms of unrighteousness begin to flourish in fallen man, so also does the neglect of the Sabbath. Now perhaps in Genesis 4, look with me at Genesis 4, verse 3, perhaps here we do have an example of the Sabbath still being kept after the fall. In Genesis 4, verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their, first, of their fat portions. Now what was this day of sacrificing to God? 
The ESV says that they came in the course of time. But the Hebrew literally says that they came at the end of days. And while we can't prove it, it seems likely that maybe the end of days was the end of the days of the week. And so that this is an example of Cain and Abel keeping the Sabbath day, bringing their sacrifices to God on that day, perhaps. And it is perhaps possible that even from the days of Adam to the days of Moses, there was a holy remnant that remembered this day and observed it. Some say that Noah is a good example of one who kept the Sabbath day and remembered God's pattern of a seven-day week. In Genesis 8, we have Noah sending out the birds. Remember sending out the raven and sending out the dove. And he does this in a pattern of seven days. He sends out the raven and it returns. He waits seven days and sends out a dove. He waits another seven days and sends the dove again. He waits another seven days and sends the dove again. And while most of the pagans around him had long forgotten a seven-day week, Noah seems to be an example of one who continued to remember it. But by the time we get to Exodus 16, we're still before Mount Sinai, we're still before the Ten Commandments, we find Israel being taught to remember the Sabbath day. God fed Israel with manna from heaven, right? That food that did not taste very good, but that God was supplying their needs. But he told them on the sixth day, go out and pick up double the manna so that on the seventh day, you don't have to pick up any. That is a Sabbath for your God. Now, whether God was reintroducing the Sabbath to his people or whether there had always been some among his people who had carried that down, we don't know. Whatever the case, we can say this, the majority of the peoples of the world lost the Sabbath. It became utterly lost after the fall. Now they still had its principle written on their hearts and in their consciences. They still had this inclination to set apart times and activities for their pagan gods. But these were perversions and distortions of the true Sabbath. Israel was different. When God came to them and called them to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, He was calling them to remember what all the other nations had lost and forgotten. This was to become one of the distinguishing marks of God's people. This was to become one way that Israel was to show we belong to God, though all the other nations do not, because we remember His Sabbath and keep it. In the same way, Christians today will be very distinct and different from the world if we choose to keep God's Lord's Day, His Sabbath day, and observe it. Certainly in our American society, we will be out of sync with our culture if we take this day seriously. We already mentioned that keeping the Sabbath was a way of celebrating God as the creator of the universe. But for Israel, the Sabbath became a double kind of celebration. Because Israel took on the Sabbath not only as a day of celebrating God as the Creator, but also of celebrating God as the Redeemer. Look with me at Deuteronomy 5. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. Here the Ten Commandments are given again. They are repeated by Moses for Israel's benefit. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in verse 12, he repeats the fourth commandment to them. And here's what he says. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, 
but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day was also a day of remembering their salvation. That they once had been burdened by the work of slavery to the Egyptians, but God had removed that work of serving the Egyptians from upon them. And so they celebrated that with their day of rest, their Sabbath day. Note also here that not only were the Israelites charged to keep the Sabbath, but they were charged not to cause others to break it either. Even the animals, which do not have souls that need to be refreshed, were to be given this day off for physical rest. As we think about what it means for us today to keep the Sabbath, we do need to consider whether we sometimes participate in activities on the Lord's day that needlessly cause others to break the fourth commandment. Now the same sinful heart that was in all humanity that caused human beings to forget the Sabbath, to neglect the Sabbath, that same sinful heart was in God's people Israel as well. And God knew very well that despite the fact that this day was a gift of love from Him to His people, they would not keep this commandment without His help. Their sinful hearts would rebel. So God gave to Israel other commandments to help them keep the fourth commandment. These commandments are not a part of God's moral law given to you and I, but they were given specifically to Israel. An example of this would be Exodus 35, 3. Listen. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Okay? So we have this law. They were not to kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. Perhaps the Israelite men would have taken their day off from farming and gone to the tabernacle to worship God, but they still expected their wives or expected their servants to do their normal work of cooking at the home. So this law was given as a help to them to help them see that the Sabbath is for your wives too. The Sabbath is for your servants too. You can eat cold food, meals prepared the day before, so that your household can have a whole day devoted to God's service. Some people try and take this verse about lighting a fire on the Sabbath day and try and say, well, that that must have been prohibited because it was work. But that's not really the point. The reason it was prohibited is because it was regular work. It was the kind of work that the wife or the servant would have been doing each day. There were other kinds of work that did happen each day that were not to be set aside. Certainly Israel continued to feed their cows and to feed their livestock twice a day, to milk their cows. These things would have been done even on the Sabbath day. It would have been cruelty to their animals not to do them. Yet those things which could be set aside, they were to set aside so that the day could be as much as possible devoted to the worship of God. In Numbers 15, 32-36, a man is caught gathering wood on the Sabbath day. There's no evidence that he was doing this because of some kind of emergency, but rather this was a man 
who is choosing to do work on the Sabbath that he could and should have done on another day. Just two verses before, we are told that those in ancient Israel who sinned presumptuously, that is, they knew what they were doing and they knew that it was wrong and they chose to do it anyway, we are told that God commanded that they be cut off from his people. And then this man is given as an example, as one who knew what he was doing, he knew that it was wrong, and yet he went out and did it anyway. His result was that God commanded him to be stoned to death. Now those kinds of prohibitions and those kinds of punishments were given to ancient Israel as a means of helping their sinful hearts to see the importance of this day and to constrain them to obedience. Now let me ask you this. Why are we not to stone people today for breaking the fourth commandment? Why was that God's will in the Old Testament, but not in the New Testament? And, and we should be thankful. How many of us would be stoned? Right? Well, we should be thankful. And I think one of the passages that helps us understand why uh, is in the book of Galatians. Turn with me to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3. The church in Galatia was being led astray by a group of false teachers called the Judaizers. Everybody say Judaizers. These men taught that though we are converted to Christ by faith, we are ultimately kept saved only by keeping the Old Testament laws of God. Thus, these men said that when missionaries are sent out to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, these teachers wanted them also to take not only the message of the cross of Christ, but also the list of Old Testament laws that must be kept in order to stay in God's favor. They had you being saved by faith initially, but kept in God's favor by works. And Paul wants to clarify that that is not how we are saved. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Amen? And so what he does is he, he wants to explain the purpose of the law given to Moses in the Old Covenant. And he wants to help the church of Galatia to understand that when God gave the law to Moses at Mount Sinai, he was not giving him the law as this is the means of salvation. That the purpose of the law was never to save. God came to Abraham long before Moses and made a covenant with Abraham that he would be blessed and that he would be God's child. And this covenant was not a covenant of works so that Abraham had to earn God's blessing. No, Abraham believed the promise of God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God's covenant with Abraham was a covenant of faith. And that was established long before Moses, and it's the same way we are saved today. We are made God's children. He becomes our God by faith. Okay. Well, then what was the purpose of the law? If it was not to save, if salvation was, is of faith, then why did God come years later to Abraham's descendants and give them the law? That's the question in verse 19. You see it? Why then the law? Paul's answer is this. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. The law was given to Abraham's children 
as an addition to the, to the covenant that God had given Abraham because Abraham's children were so darn sinful. They were so wicked. Their transgressions were, were so abundant that it moved the heart of God to give them this law. Now, notice, this verse teaches that there was law before the law. <laughs> okay? Because he said he gave them the law because of their transgressions which means they were sinning before there was ever a law, right? Remember I said this morning that the Ten Commandments existed long before God gave the Ten Commandments? Well, this is proof of that, right? People were sinning long before God actually gave the law on tablets. The Ten Commandments are a summary of those moral laws which have been in place since the foundation of the world and are imprinted in the human soul. But God's covenant people those who claimed him and were children of Abraham were continuing to break these commandments, including that of not devoting their time to God on the seventh day. And so God gave them these other laws because had he not, his people would have become just like the pagan nations around them. They would have ceased to be distinct from the world. They would have intermarried with the, the Amorites and the Hittites and the, all the other Canaanite peoples and would have lost who they were. God had a plan to bring from, his, from Abraham's children a Messiah, both for Israel and for the world. But that plan was in jeopardy because of the rampant ungodliness of Israel. Israel was about to lose their identity as the people of God as they imitated and joined in the world's disobedience. And so for their protection and in order that the promise of the Messiah would come true, God gave them the Mosaic law. Why? How were these other laws, how were these other laws with their severe punishments of stoning a man for not keeping the Sabbath, how were they to make God's people more obedient? Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24 with me. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. In the Old Covenant, national Israel, which was mainly an unregenerate, unborn-again people, were like children who needed other laws as a guardian to keep them in check. They were like children and that children don't always understand or grasp what is best for themselves. A child may hear his parents say, don't play in the road, but the child doesn't understand what the consequences might be if they do play in the road. They don't understand, that child might not understand that his parents are looking out for him by saying, don't play in the road. All he knows is his ball went out in the road and he wants to go after it. So how does a parent help a child who does not yet have a heart to obey? Who does not yet grasp all he needs to grasp to obey? How does a parent help a child? Well, you might point to the sidewalk and you might tell your child, I do not want you to go past this side of the sidewalk. If you go past this side of the sidewalk, I'm going to give you a spanking. Now, do you tell your child that because there's something evil about walking on the sidewalk? No. 
You tell your child that because you're trying to protect that child from going out in the road. Well, similarly, God gave all of these detailed rules and severe punishments to ancient Israel because they did not yet have hearts that had been reborn, filled with the Spirit, longing to do right. They were immature children who needed these rules as a guardian to keep them from breaking the Ten Commandments and joining the pagan nations around them. You would not tell your 18-year-old, stay off of that sidewalk, stay on this side of the sidewalk, don't go near the road. You wouldn't tell an 18-year-old that. Why? Because the 18-year-old is mature enough to understand. The 18-year-old is mature enough to grasp the consequences of going in the road. And he may go on the road, but he knows to look both ways because he knows what will happen if he doesn't. That's the difference between someone who is mature and someone who is immature. Well, Paul says here that the purpose of the Mosaic law was to be a guardian of God's Old Testament people who were immature, who by and large were not born again, who did not have the Holy Spirit, and therefore needed the law to keep them holy. But now, now that Christ has come and the Holy Spirit has been given into our hearts as Christians, we no longer need all these other laws. We no longer need the civil laws and the ceremonial laws and all of these things that were a guardian of Old Testament Israel because we are the mature people of God. We have hearts that desire to do what is right. We understand that His commandments are for our good and for our benefit, and we desire to obey them. We don't have to be told keep the Sabbath or you will be stoned to death. Or don't pick up sticks on Sunday or don't light a fire on Sunday. Rather, our hearts have a holy instinct that want to spend time with God, that want to set apart time to serve Him. Picking up sticks or lighting a fire on Sunday was never evil in and of themselves. And God's new covenant people are free from those kinds of regulations. But the point of those regulations ought to be in our hearts a desire to put aside other labors to spend and set apart that seventh day for God. God's true people, those who are born again, are like the child grown up. We are God's people made mature so that we no longer need these other laws to make us observe the Sabbath, for we have hearts that desire to do it. Well, when we come to the Gospels and we see the way Christ treats the Sabbath, We see this being proved by his own example. By the time Jesus comes along, we find that the added laws that God gave to Moses concerning the Sabbath were still not strict enough for some people. There have always been those who want to take the Sabbath day and turn it into a day of strict regulations so that it becomes so burdensome it's impossible to be a delight. The Pharisees in Jesus' day had come up with all kinds of laws of things that you could and could not do on the Sabbath. These commands went much further than God's did in the Old Testament and completely missed the purpose of the Sabbath day. For the Pharisees, doing as little as possible was the best way to keep the Sabbath day. Don't walk too far. Don't exert too much energy. You must do as little as possible to keep the Sabbath day. Completely missed the point that the Sabbath was mainly about ceasing from regular labors, that you can serve God on that day. Well, Jesus understood that the Sabbath was a day made as a blessing for us, a day to cease from our regular labors and to serve God. It is a day to especially bless God and bless His people. 
And so this is what Christ did on the Sabbath day. I want to ask you to look at one more passage. Look with me at Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Look at what Jesus did on the Sabbath, how he kept the Sabbath. Beginning in verse 1. Well, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." Keep reading. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. How? To destroy him. There's much to be said from these verses. We're not going to spend a great deal of time, though we could, looking at Jesus' words. Here, I just want us to note that Jesus, in these verses, shows us three kinds of work that can be done on the Sabbath. Three kinds of work that can and two that ought to be done on the Sabbath. First, there are works of piety. Everybody see works of piety. Okay. Jesus goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. There he would have heard the word of God. He would have prayed. He would have praised God and participated in God's worship. These are acts which require time and energy and effort, but they're not only allowed on the Sabbath, they're the whole point of the Sabbath. They are what the Sabbath is all about, a day set apart for service to God. As a preacher, I work harder on the Sabbath than any day of the week. Do I break the Sabbath? Of course not. As he said here, the priests in the temple were guiltless. The Sabbath is a day for service to God. Works of worship, works of piety, um, spending time reading the Bible and prayer, praying together as a family, many other things you could do. These things are legitimate and good things to do on Sunday. Second, the Sabbath is a day for works of mercy. Say works of mercy. The Pharisees were enraged that Christ would heal a man on the Sabbath. But the Sabbath is all about loving and serving God, and that means also loving and serving His people. So this is a day to be an encouragement to your brothers and to your sisters, both during our corporate gatherings and through visits during the afternoon, hospitality, etc. It is also certainly appropriate to use your Sunday afternoons for works of mercy, even towards those who are not Christians. Witnessing door-to-door on a Sunday afternoon or visiting residents of a nursing home or patients in a hospital. These are the kinds of works of mercy that are particularly good to do 
and very appropriate on the Sabbath. There are so many ways to, to express your love for God on the Sabbath, and most of them fall into one of these two categories. Works of piety, which is growing in personal holiness or family holiness or church holiness, and works of mercy, showing care and compassion to those in need. But third, let us not miss that on the Sabbath we will still need to do works of necessity. Say works of necessity. It was not wrong for the disciples to pluck grain to eat on the Sabbath. We do still have to eat on Sundays. Amen? We still need to take showers. We still need to be clean. We still need to take care of emergencies that come our way. There are men and women who will need to work on Sundays because their work is a work of necessity. We think of doctors and nurses and policemen and others who we need to have working on Sundays. Now, we need to be careful that we don't call something a necessity that isn't a necessity, right? We can make anything a necessity if we try hard enough. Um, but the idea is that we are to set apart this one day, cease from our regular labors, and devote that day to God, understanding that there are things that will still need to be done. There are works of necessity that will still need to be accomplished on that day. So don't turn it into a legalistic list of do's and don'ts. That's not the point. The point is, how can I show my love for God by taking this one day a week and honoring Him with that day? What are some creative ways that me and my family can serve God on that day? Well, why do we call Sunday the Sabbath rather than Saturday? Why do we call Sunday the Lord's Day or the Christian Sabbath? Well, we do so because there is ample evidence in the New Testament that after Jesus rose from the dead, the apostles were led to establish the first day of the week instead of the seventh day as the Sabbath for God's new covenant people. Now, you don't have to turn to all these. I'm just going to mention them to you. But where do we see this? We see it in several places in the New Testament. When Jesus first revealed himself to his disciples after he rose from the dead, he revealed himself on a Sunday, the first day of the week. Of course, what day did Jesus rise from the dead? Sunday. Thomas was not present on that first Sunday when Jesus revealed himself to his disciples, so Jesus waited another week till the next Sunday and revealed himself again with Thomas present. The first day of the week was the day that the early Christians gathered for worship. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul instructs the Corinthian Christians to give an offering for the needy. And he says that they're to give that offering, they're to come together and give that offering on the first day of the week. In Acts 20, when Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, Paul waited an entire week in the city of Troas so that he could gather with Christians there for worship on the first day of the week. And by the time John writes in Revelation that he received his visions while in the Spirit on the Lord's day, it had become common knowledge among believers that the Lord's day was Sunday. Now, nowhere do I think is this probably more directly taught than in Hebrews 4. And unfortunately, we don't have time to study that tonight and to look at that. I'd be happy to talk to you about it later if we need to. But here's sort of the basic point there as it relates to observing the Sabbath. If I understand Hebrews 4 correctly, what's being said there is that just as God 
worked in creation and rested on the seventh day, and that became the Sabbath day, now Christ has worked. He worked our salvation. And he has ceased from that work. He ceased from that work when he rose up from the dead on Sunday, and his ascension was on a Sunday. And so just as God entered the rest on as God the Father entered his rest on the seventh day, and that became the Sabbath, now Jesus entered his rest on the first day. And so those who belong to Christ, those who are Christians, now take the first day of the week. Sunday is our new covenant Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath. Now this brings me to a very important point, namely that the Lord's Day is a wonderful means of grace in our lives This is a day in which many of the other means of grace have their most significant role. The Bible is a means of grace that God uses to make us holy and happy, but it's on the Lord's Day that the Bible is particularly used as it is taught and preached to us by godly men. We're to read the Bible every day, but it's especially used for our sanctification on the Lord's Day. We could say the same thing about prayer, couldn't we? Right? We're to pray every day, but there's a special role of prayer on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is a day in which we use many of the means of grace God has given to us. When we neglect the Lord's Day, we neglect many other means of grace for our good. Moreover, as we have said, the Lord's Day is given to us as an encouragement to remind us of the ultimate Sabbath rest that is to come. Hebrews 4 calls us to be careful lest we waver in our faith and do not persevere, thus missing out on heaven. We need to be encouraged in our faith because if our faith begins to waver, if we lose our faith, we will prove ourselves not to be God's people and not enter that heavenly rest. And so God, because He loves us and because He wants us to finish the race and to win the prize, has ordained that one out of seven days be a foretaste for us of heaven that it be one day a week where we are reminded what heaven is going to be like, fellowship with God's people, praising God's name, and that is to boost our faith, encourage our faith, strengthen it as we run the race. The Lord's day is God's gift to us. Let us make good use of it. Let me close very quickly. Four practical points, and these are very quick. One, prepare for the Lord's day. You will not be able to make good use of your Sundays and devote the day to the Lord if you've not made preparations. Parents, teach your kids to do their weekend homework before Sunday. Adults, make sure that your other kinds of work are as much as possible done before Sunday so you can devote that day to God. Consider doing what you can to make this day a refreshment, a day of refreshment for your soul. Um, If your Sunday mornings are really hectic, Think about maybe ironing your clothes on Saturday night or other things that you can do so that the day is is not so stressful so you can devote it to honoring God. Consider cooking on Saturday evening so that you can have leftovers on Sunday and there's less work in the kitchen. Don't stay up late on Saturdays so that you're unable to focus and pay attention on Sundays and you end up wasting your day. That brings me to the second point, which is do not waste the day. Um, I've given you, I hope you picked it up, a list of many ideas of ways that you can make good use of your Sundays for the glory of God. And there are many other not on that list. Just be creative. Think of ways you can do that. Um, Add as many others to that list as you would like. Be with God's people on the Lord's Day. That should be central. Even when you're out of town or on vacation, 
Seek to be with God's people on His day. One way to encourage and to bless God's people on the Lord's day is just by your presence with them when they worship. It is discouraging when Christians meet together and they're few in number, with brothers and sisters missing from the crowd. So if, if at all possible, be with God's people on the Lord's day, why would you not want to be? Um, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122.1. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Psalm 84.10. Does your heart agree with that? If your heart doesn't agree with that, if not, why, why not? What, what, what's wrong with your heart? Because if, if we don't find delight in gathering with God's people on the Lord's day, something's wrong and we need to have it corrected. Number three, respect the decisions of your brothers and sisters in keeping the Sabbath. Because not everybody's going to keep it the same way or observe it the same way. Some in here may decide that for their family... Do this again. Some in here may decide that for their family they, they won't do such and such on this Sunday, while another family says that they will. Right? One family may say, we, we don't do this on the Sabbath. Another family may say that we do do this on the Sabbath. We do not need to become judgmental towards each other on how different people observe the day. Rather, we should extend Christian liberty towards one another and encourage one another simply to make the best use of the day possible. So, for example, uh, one family may say that because they watch a lot of television during the week, that on Sunday they're not going to watch television because they don't want it to just fall into the same habits. They want to they do something different that day. They want to serve God that day. So that family says, we're not going to watch TV on Sunday. Yet another family may not watch much TV during the week, and they may decide to spend time together on a Sunday afternoon, and they put in a, a wholesome movie that will teach the kids good Christian values, maybe a, a Sergeant York, right, or a movie like that. And, and they say, we're going we're to watch this movie together on Sunday afternoon. Well, should the family that has decided not to watch TV that day look down on the one that has? And should the family that has chosen to watch TV that day look over here at the ones that have and say, well, they're just legalistic? No, it's going to be different family to family, individual to individual. Right? We don't have a list in the Bible, do this on Sunday, don't do this on Sunday, and be thankful for that. It's a day of freedom. Find creative ways to make the best use of the day that you can serve God. Um. Men, we should talk to our wives and we should work out together what will be good for our family and helping our family to love this day and make the best use of it for God. Well, finally, we're done. This is point four. Never, ever, ever, ever forget that the Sabbath is mainly a day for growing in your faith and love for Jesus. That's what it's about. The Lord's day is about the Lord. It's all about Christ, right? The Lord's Supper, we call the Lord's Supper the Lord's Supper because it's all about remembering our Lord. It's all about loving our Lord. It's all about worshiping our Lord and professing our Lord. The Lord's day is no different. It's to be centered around Jesus. We're to work hard for Jesus on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, but we're to serve Him and focus on Him in unique and soul-refreshing ways on Sunday. We're to love our Savior, trust our Savior, fellowship with Him, Spend time in His presence. Cast our cares on Him on Sunday. 
If I give us any counsel at all for keeping the Sabbath, it would be this. Let Jesus be at the center of your Sundays. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm scared to ask if you have any questions, but I will ask if you have any questions. And I may say, I'll tell you later if I can figure it out. But I, I would like to ask, do you have any questions?